Hello, Bonesai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonesai, and welcome to episode 42 of Little Things for Bonesai People, the podcast. And this time I am joined by Mike Lane of Kitsune Bonesai. How's it going, Mike? Hey, man. How's it going, guys? All right. All right. And today we are joined by a special guest. Uh, he's actually in a different time zone in a different day in Japan. Uh, I'd like to welcome Seth Nelson onto the podcast. How's it going? Doing good, man. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, definitely. We're going to talk to Seth today uh, about his bonsai apprenticeship and life in Japan and day-to-day -day, uh, work on at a bonsai, a professional bonsai nursery. And uh, just, you know, what's going on over there? I mean, it's a different world. So, but before we get too far into that, I do need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons over on patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people.com. And if you head over there, you can become a bonsai best bud and hang out on the discord with all these amazing people, starting off the list with Tori Solis, Vicky Auth, Warehouse Rat, Void Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chatlers, Chatlers, Snappy Chappers, Snappy Ryan, Chappers, Chapplers. Yeah, I, I know who I know who Snappy Chappers is. Uh, I've just been saying this this whole time and realize who it was. Uh, but anyway, I'll get to that later. Ryan Giordano, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard, Bonsai, Australia, Green Witch Gardens, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertweet, Austin Atkins, Karen Codswell, Uriun, wait, Uriun, Uriun, yeah, I think it's Uriun. Unruin. See, yeah. there was actually a discussion in the Discord. That everybody was going to make really weird, like handles and names for me to pronounce, and they're getting they're getting good. This is actually yeah. just the name of the bonsai garden. But uh, Luis Torres, AC Castle, and Bonsai Marine. Thank you guys so much for being patrons and supporting the show. Uh, if you can't support the show financially, it's always good to share, subscribe, like, follow. Uh, everything counts. Uh, everything helps us out on your favorite listening platform. Just go over there and click follow or subscribe. And then uh, can't go much further without mentioning our editor, Matt O'Donnell. He makes us sound smart. He cleans up our audio, makes it enjoyable to listen to. So go over to mattodonnell.com to fill out a contact form and start your own podcast show with him or get some audio engineering done. He's a uh, set bassist over in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's just an all around awesome guy. So uh, how is it going over there currently in Japan, Seth? Uh, well, it is a little bit past 10 p.m. right now. Uh, got a typhoon kind of rolling by. Told you guys that before we started recording, but, you know, uh, didn't really make a direct landfall here in Nagoya. So we're good, and I'm good. Just a normal night. What's your, uh, what is your prep? I mean, I know what we do at the nursery at Weigert's, but what do you do for a typhoon? Anything? Just put the trees down? Uh, so like we tie down most of our trees, uh, like 90% of the trees are tied here and like the smaller trees, we just kind of push them in on the benches. So they're kind of huddled together and yeah, we put some trees down on the ground too. Um, and like a couple small trees come inside just like if it's convenient, but like, uh, yeah, there's only one tree that we really are worried about protecting um there's a 130 year old ume here that's like the it's from the first generation of Chen. so um that tree like we had to move it inside of the tea room here just because like you know that if anything happens that that's like the most troubling tree to lose 
Yeah. Most that, yeah, if it was lost, it'd be like really has, heartbreaking. That's the most history to the nursery. Yeah, it's from the original, like the first seedlings that were planted by the first generation. And it's like verifiably uh, more than 130 years old and documented, you know? So that's like the, the prize tree here, sentimentally. Mm. Yeah. Uh, give us give us some information about exactly which bonsai nursery you're at and who, uh, who you're studying under. Uh, so my Oyakata is Junichiro Tanaka. Um, he is the fourth generation professional here at Aichan Bonsai in Nagoya, Japan. Uh, Nagoya is about like halfway between Tokyo and Osaka, just for, you know, like uh, relative locations. Um, so Aichan is a, yeah, I already said it, it's a fourth generation bonsai nursery. Um, so, you know, my wake at this great grandfather started the nursery back in 1890 something. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been passed down from generation to generation and like we're here on the fourth generation now. That's crazy. That's, uh, wow. Wow. So what is it like, um, what is like your, your daily routine? Like, what is it like basically walk us through kind of your, what, what a a typical day in the nursery would be like? (laughs) Well, I mean, so I wake up about like seven o'clock. So I live at the garden. I don't have an apartment. I don't leave and come back. Like I don't come to work every day. I live at work. So uh, I wake up to breakfast call about seven o'clock every morning. I go eat breakfast, you know, with my wake up to his kids and the other apprentice that's here. Uh, Then, you know, by eight o'clock, we are in the workshop working like i have to kind of make coffee now that i have a younger apprentice i don't really have to do too much morning stuff but like my first three years um i had some morning tasks that i had to do like i'd feed the three dogs that were here and clean the poop and stuff <laughs> like that and just like i also get the workshop ready for the day but really like this it's just like sweeping if there's a mess something like that but uh you know start to work at eight we eat lunch at 12 um get an hour break and generally work till about six and then after six uh we, we eat dinner generally about like 6 30 you know somewhere between like 6 37 hmm. so yeah like every every meal i have here is also with the family um like breakfast lunch and dinner so then after dinner it's kind of my own free time. So I can come back to the workshop and work on my own trees or I can just hang out in my room and, you know, chill. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you get what you put in as an apprentice. So, you know, like when I got work to do, I try and get it done at night. Um, but like rest is always important too. Mm-hmm. You gotta find a, you gotta find a balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like the, Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, Go ahead. No, no. Um, I just, I, I, there's a passing thought that I don't want to forget. Um, I've heard Aichian maybe referred to as like a tree building nursery. Uh, are, are there different types? I've heard several people kind of refer to there being like different types of nurseries in Japan. Yeah, I mean, 
it's hard for me to say like these days because what I'm seeing now is there's a lot less specialization in Japan and like a lot of people have just become tree brokers, like just moving trees quickly. Um, so for example, like Aichan is not a garden where we focus on just like buying trees, wiring them, and then selling them as like, like a kind of like revolving, getting them in and out of the nursery as quick as possible. Uh, so like we will buy trees that when I say we, I mean like my way I got them, we'll buy trees and they need like, I don't know, say like 10 years of work, 30 years of work, whatever, as long as it's a tree with a really good potential that's worth that effort. Um, like, yeah, he's gonna buy that tree and, you know, spend the time to make it. So when people say like, we're a tree making nursery, I, I think that's what they mean currently. Hmm. Um, but I mean, some nurseries, like they only focus on deciduous or shimpaku, or some people are kind of famous for grafting and those kind of things. So I don't really know because like I'm, I'm only experiencing what I experience here and I don't really want to say like, Oh, this is, this is how it is here in Japan without right. like actually experiencing it, you know? Right. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Evan, you got anything for him? Like, <laughs> of course you got plenty. Nice. Um, so as far as day to day, um, how, how often do you guys hand water everything? And that's, that's something for the listeners. They, they oh, wouldn't yeah, know good. otherwise. <laughs> so we have, I don't know, well over 2000 trees here. Hmm. Um, we hand water everything every day. Uh, so like winter time, I mean, we water according to the weather, right? So in the winter when it's like, uh it's freezing here and that kind of thing maybe we water once every two to three days or maybe once every three to four days it just depends on how the trees are drying out in winter uh but then like come spring it does get pretty warm here and we're gonna start watering two times a day and like now in summer in nagoya uh i mean we have daytime temperatures up in like close to 100 degrees fahrenheit um so we're watering three times a day and like generally the way we water if it's two people watering uh it'll still take maybe an hour and a half yeah so if it's only me watering like yeah it can be like two to three hours each time i have to water but it's it seems to be kind of rare that like i'm watering by myself these days and how are you guys determining when to water do you guys like just check the soil scrape down the soil and look at it yeah I mean, yeah, we just observe, right? Like we're like, you can't see now, but like I'm sitting in the workshop and like, I can see the trees from just where I'm sitting. And like, if something's kind of starting to wilt, you kind of just can see it from here. And then, you know, we go out and we check and if the soil is starting to dry out, then, you know, we just water everything. We don't really kind of spot water. Like we don't specifically skip like i guess we kind of do but like we we water everything when we water we water everything equally we don't like kind of hold off on some trees yeah yeah because it's hot here like our soil mix is the same for every tree so everything kind of dries about the same more or less um and we'll we'll get back to the watering thing because it's actually a uh it was one of our listener questions from our discord 
but you mentioned soil mix and that has always been mm-hmm. really intriguing to me. So what do you guys run at that nursery in particular? Okay. So we have like the soil mixes we all use, uh, or sorry, the soil mixes we use, it's all the same ingredients, but we just kind of mix them in different proportions. So mm. the base is Akadama river sand pumice and like a little bit of charcoal. Um, Interesting. So the river sand we use is probably just like a crushed granite that's been like sieved and graded, you know? Hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure on like what exactly it is, but like just call it river sand. Um, so for pines, pretty much all pines like to be more dry. So we're going to use like something like eight parts river sand to one bag of Akadama and like half a bag of pumice and we'll kind of mix that to just like however much we need at the time. Hmm. Um, so that, that mix is drier and, uh, like pines like it. So like if it's Shinpaku or like Hinoki Cypress, other conifers that are not pines, uh, the mix has like maybe half as much sand, and the same amount of Akadama. So it's like a little bit more wet. And then like for deciduous, like there's no sand in the mix or maybe just a little bit of sand in the mix. Mm. And then it's just like, a, instead of using a larger size pumice, we use like a smaller particle size for the pumice with the deciduous trees. And for Shohin, like we follow the same, same mixtures, except we're using smaller particle size. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's the same ratios, just dies down. Now, and, uh, so that's go ahead. Please. Oh, sorry, Evan. Um, so that sounds like basically instead of a, like changing your watering habits, you're amending the soil so they can all have the same thing. Yeah, basically, because I mean, with such a large number of trees, to really water with individual treatment is like pretty difficult, right? Like. Mm-hmm it's hard to give a tree exactly what it needs. If like, you know, you have 2000 trees to water and it takes you, if it takes you three hours to water, it's like, you know, by the time you're done watering, you're going to have to go back and water again. You're absolutely right. It's yeah. So you have to kind of find a, um, um, what do you call it? You have to find like a middle ground, right? So you change the soil so that everything's kind of on the same page for what it means. At Weigerts, that's exactly what exactly what you're saying is he uses a very coarse mix for everything, but he checks religiously daily. Yeah. And so there's a guy uh, that's there all day. His only job is to water trees, and he basically waters everything, and then finishes and starts again and checks everything. Well, and I mean uh, that's bonsai, right? Yeah, it's, it's bonsai. You know, there's awesome. yeah. yeah. So it's kind of. <laughs> You know, it's interesting to see that there's like these different approaches and it's like, where do you want to put your work? Where do you want to like put the time? And so I, I personally, I, I tend to like sift the soil according to my needs and that yeah. I water just everything similarly. But, um, you know, I have always been a big believer. I've seen the results of kind of checking water and stuff like that. So um, I think there waterings, you know, just something very, uh, there's a lot to it. So my Oyakata has always said like the hardest part of bonsai is watering, learning how to water appropriately because like it sounds superficial, 
but like it is like the core of bonsai mm-hmm. is like watering if your tree is weak it's not because it needs fertilizer it's because the watering is like the main issue right mm-hmm. and if you you want to get a tree healthy like of course fertilizer is going to help but like watering appropriately is what's going to make the tree strong and healthy again most every problem you have with bonsai comes back to watering right. at like the core issue of it mm-hmm. um, yeah and it was one of our one of our listeners is asking about how to gauge your watering techniques as time goes on. And I know that's like we're going kind of back and forth on this, kind of mm-hmm. just water as you need or keep your eye on things. And Mike's saying the course mixed down in Weigerts, they're just constantly cycling through the whole collection, just watering. Um, and so I know it's hard to pinpoint like a like a guideline or some hints and tips on how to water, but uh I do like how you say that like the core of it is watering because for me the approach is the root systems numero uno in the in the bonsai i mean if your root system's poor you know in poor health then obviously the whole tree is going to be poorly healthy yeah um and then just the water is that main component it's the fuel so um i think maybe one of the things too if uh if this sounds right is like root core saturation it's like if your actual root core, like your sheen, is yes. starting to completely dry out, then you'll run into even more issues. So that's, um, so yeah, that's something we deal with at the nursery a lot. So my experience, like my work experience prior to uh, coming to Japan to study bonsai, I worked in a retail flower uh, nursery for like three years, and we were propagating and growing everything ourselves. It wasn't just like, you know, kind of like a home depot operation Hmm. so like yeah when when you water any kind of potted plant you have to fully saturate uh the root ball every single time you water so if like if the core of your tree is completely dry then yeah i mean i say like yeah of course you have to like fully saturate it again but like maybe some people don't know that right but yeah, I mean, every single time you water, you need to be putting enough water to the tree that the soil is fully saturated. And like, sometimes that means you, you water, you let the water absorb and then you hit it again at like once or twice. So you end up watering the same tree like two or three times, just like maybe over the course of a minute. So that like, so you know, the water has fully saturated all the soil in the pot yeah yeah that's we've, yeah i mean that's the general approach to all potted plants I think. yeah we've we've had it get hydrophobic like where the core won't take the water anymore and you could sit there for i mean i've run a hose on some of those big trees i've just let it sit and come back and scrape down under a couple inches and it's still dry and um like i know with small trees you know i just soak them in a bucket but like what 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 we do in the nursery at Weigert's is we just wait till summer comes and we wait till the rains come and it fixes the problem eventually. But I know that that's not the best solution. There's got to be something better. Hmm. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, if you're hitting that problem, then you kind of know that you need to repot that tree and address the core of the tree. If it's like, if it's not taking water, then it's, it's likely not your watering habit more as like, the tree needs to be repot and the core of the tree needs to get worked so that it can take water more like easily. Right. That's, that's my feeling. When we, when we tend issue. to run in, when we tend to run into that though, is usually around winter time. And you know, for us, it's a poor time to go digging in there, but that's like, 
it seems to happen because we start watching water more carefully. We start watering less. And then it mm -hmm. always happens, you know, every year where the stuff dries down to a point where it's too far. And then it's like you can't get it wet again, you know. So I didn't know if there was some secret uh, hidden technique that you uh, learned to. No, I mean, I can't say that we actually have that problem here. Yeah, use I a wetter have... mix and keep it more evenly moist, right? Yeah, I, to be honest, we water a lot, I feel like. And yeah. probably because of that, we just don't see our trees like run into that issue. Right. Um, and like I was saying, like if we are seeing some kind of health issue related to like a tree not taking up water or something like that, like, I mean, it's because the tree needs to be repot. And I think like, I know with tropicals, in wintertime, it's more risky and dangerous, and like you don't want to go in there making hard cuts on the roots. But I think you can open up the root ball gently mm -hmm. if you like need to address it to save the tree. But yeah. then, like, you also have to give it the aftercare to make it through winter after doing that, right? Yeah, whatever I... like that aftercare looks like. So, um, on that kind of same topic, um, I guess I, I'm kind of curious, what are some of the, there's so much to ask. Like, I know you grew bonsai in Florida and you grew bonsai, yeah. now you're growing bonsai in Japan. So like how prevalent are tropicals? How prevalent, like, do you use any of the information you previously learned or is it basically like clean slate, you're learning everything new? So there are tropicals in Japan especially like more like Okinawa, which is like almost like an island off of the main island of Japan, right? Like very far south. Um, and they grow a lot of ficus, sea hibiscus, uh, you know, whatever else is down there. Um, here, like I do see, like we have two bougainvilleas here in the nursery. And I've seen bougainvilleas at almost every bonsai exhibition. Uh, I've seen some ficus that were imported from Taiwan that were like, you know, pretty thick and big trees. But I think there's not a whole lot of tropicals here just because like, you know, for the most part, Japan's a cold country and if you're, you're kind of, sorry, you're kind of just like going to be fighting to keep them alive more often than like enjoying the way they grow, I think. Right. But like, my impression of like developing tropicals and developing say like deciduous trees or broadleaf evergreens, I think honestly, it's about the same, like mm -hmm. the same, the same way we cut ficus is generally like the same way you're going to cut a kaide. Like momiji is a little bit different. Like it has its own kind of way to treat it, but like just in general, I think like if you treat tropicals as if they were just a deciduous species or whatever, like it's about the same. So yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, no, that does. That's uh, that's exactly what I kind of wanted to know. Yeah, it gives us insight <laughs> into uh, the different regions because we do talk to a handful of different people from around the world. So. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I know some people experience have totally different experiences with species or preferred species in their range. So, um, so that kind of leads me to, uh, I heard you mention a, a species that I'm not familiar with. It was it Masiji? 
Momiji. That's Momiji. Uh, yeah, that's oh Momiji. Yeah, Japanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, so that's just a yeah, uh, the actual Japanese pronunciation for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, my bad. No, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm not saying. Sometimes I will use just like the Japanese name because it's what I use every day here, right? So I'm, I'm used to saying it. So like if I say something and you need me to clarify, just like yeah. like, that's I'm not actually like trying to be pretentious or anything. No, that's actually a good question though. Leading up to that is what is I mean, I don't know if it's offensive to ask, what is the language barrier like with you and your oikata? So he speaks fluent English um good. completely. Yeah, yeah. Like that helps a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons why I came to Aichin, like other than like his skill level and wanting to study with him specifically hmm. but i already knew that he was accepting of foreign apprentices and was like interested in other cultures so his his general attitude is a lot more approachable than a lot of other japanese sponsor professionals of uh and he's like more approachable as a person and i think more accepting of uh foreign apprentices in like foreign culture and all that sort of thing is so yeah i mean isn't he busting like hip-hop and stuff all the time yeah dude he loves skrillex yeah. <laughs> but but yeah no we'll be riding around in the uh the big van listening to like old school hip-hop all the time that's awesome so yeah very interesting um, i'd say though like it's my so I asked him before, like, should I study Japanese and learn the language? And he told me, like, yeah, you don't need to learn Japanese to learn bonsai. Mm -hmm. But, like, I, I feel like I approached it with the wrong mindset from the beginning because I knew I would leave Japan. And I don't want to, like, live here. So I felt like I didn't want to learn the language. And then if I leave the nursery, like, yeah, I can't communicate at all. Like, I know some basic phrases that I can survive and like communicate with body language and like the phrases that I do know. But yeah, outside of the garden, the language barrier is just like, I don't know. It's like, you can't interact with anyone. Like mm. very, very few people in Nagoya speak English and the ones that do are generally like pretty shy to speak it. Like Japanese in general are like very timid, I think. Hmm. It's interesting. And I mean, so, um, so you've been to some other nurseries as well, uh, yeah. traveling around and seeing some things. What's probably the most impressive thing you've seen there? What's uh, like the coolest technique or like, what's the thing that kind of blew you away? Oh, uh, that's, that's a broad question. Kinda, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, like it is pretty broad. Like I've seen, uh, one guy who's like, he's not really a professional but he's like a very i mean he's a very rich like hobbyist that has really great trees and he enjoys doing the work himself and i've seen him like grafting and changing the leaf varieties of like i don't know like 20 different japanese maples in one room and he's got like 20 or 30 grafts going on each tree seeing like that and i thought that's like yeah really high level deciduous Not work really. so i took a yeah i took a lot of pictures and that's paid what attention to what yeah, he that's was, what was kind of hinting at was uh, yeah i remember kind of seeing that and um one of the things that blew me away was just the 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 pre-thought you know the, the 
the plan that goes into that, you know, and the efficiency of growing, you know, if you, you need to thicken yeah. your lowest branch, you run that up and then graft it somewhere else and grow another branch. Right. And mm. it's just, it's a uh, very efficient and it's beautiful. It's like a beautiful math. I don't think there's any reason that kind of work isn't happening in the U S like commonly, because like he, I mean, he has the time he's retired and, He's like wealthy, so he doesn't have to worry about going to work every day or anything like that. But uh, he's not a professional. He's just like a dedicated hobbyist. And there's a lot of dedicated hobbyists in the U.S. that like could easily do that work if they like were educated on um, like the technique mm-hmm. and just you know put in the effort yeah. or work with a professional or something. You know? For sure. That just tells um, on. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, like uh, at the same time, like I've been to other like nurseries that had been grafting like Shinpaku and um, Tosho, like needle juniper. And for me, I'm very interested in like technical work. Right. Because like, yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to learn technique more than anything here in Japan, right? So when I see like some kind of high level technical work being done, that's like really what grabs my attention even if it's not like some crazy like half million dollar tree or something like that as long as like the work is like really good um i don't know i pay attention mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to answer because like no i don't good. well i i don't go to nurseries to like observe you know it's more like i'm just kind of tagging along with my oyakata as he's like got some kind of a business to attend to somewhere, you know, or like he's on a shopping trip, you know, something like that. And I'm just kind of poking around seeing what I can pick up just like by observing what's happening. Um, just looking around, you know, but when, when I said, I'm not like there observing the, uh, yeah, I mean like I'm not there observing the work that's being right. done. You're doing other happened. stuff. Yeah. 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 These are all in passing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all in passing. And that's and that's what I've heard with uh bonsai apprentices, especially uh hanging out with Carmen over at Michael Hagedorn's. It's just it's more of the immersion that you're looking for. That yeah. I mean, just being around bonsai every single waking hour, and then you have your work at the nursery and you're watering, but yeah, it's the immersion, I'm sure. Well, yeah, and here, like I said, like I, I live here. Um I'm sitting in the workshop right now. So like uh yeah it's full immersion here at Aichi and I don't think there's many other uh nurseries in Japan that have like on-site apprentices um I know like there's another nursery called Daijuen which is where my way got the study and uh they currently have a guy from Australia uh, his name's Sean Hartley he's also like a on-site apprentice the same way that I am but outside of Aichian and Daijuan, I don't know like how many other nurseries are even doing on-site apprenticeships anymore. And uh, both of these gardens are foreign apprentices. There's no Japanese apprentice doing it, which is like that's odd. So it's called it's called like Uchi Deshi. Like Uchi is inside Deshi as apprentice. So it's pretty much like the most traditional way to study bonsai yet there's no Japanese that I'm aware of. Like, I'm sure there are. I just don't know hmm. exactly. 
And isn't that, I've heard like numerous reasons why that is, you know, that they just, the younger generation doesn't have an interest in it, that there isn't as many young people. Um, what's your take on it? Uh, I would agree with both of those statements. And I would say, like, it's a very stressful relationship for both sides, like for your Oyakata and for the apprentice, because like, you know, there's, there's no separation between living and work. So like your personal life and work are completely tied together. And mm. like, yeah, if my Oyakata runs out of cigarettes and it's like 10 PM, he'll send me a text like, Hey, go buy me cigarettes. And I have to go out to the store, go get him cigarettes. So like, it's, <laughs> it's not something that like everybody wants to do, right? Like it is just something like it's, it's good, but it has its drawbacks. I guess that's like the best way to say it, right? Right. Yeah, it's not. It's not all like. It's not all fun and games. No, the the romantic view of being a bonsai apprentice like that that dries up pretty quick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so what continues to be your like motivation? You know, how do you continue? I know it's hard, and so what what keeps you going? So like my Oyakata, he's a nice guy. It's not like I'm living in fear, you know, like I'm not. No, I don't mean like that, but. Well, you know, there's been some articles published and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. there's been stories. That's not the, that's not the experience I'm having at all. And like, yeah, the work is hard, but like, dude, I worked at Pizza Hut. Like that's hard too. And like, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. So <laughs> <Right>. like. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty content. Like I'm doing what I love to do and I'm doing it all day, every day. And you know, I've got a place to live. And like when I wake up, like I walk through the balls, like garden every morning to, uh, you know, go have my breakfast. So like, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you just gotta accept the lifestyle and get on with it, you know? Um, and then other than that too, you know, I do have like, goals after i finish my apprenticeship about like you know starting my own business and becoming a professional in america so like that keeps me going too right yeah and are you going to um have you given any thought are you going to continue growing more japanese species or like more northern species or are you going to come back and grow tropicals or do you have um, any, any like that yet i have a like i will be honest like i think it'd be really hard to just like completely abandon the idea of working with Japanese trees. Mm -hmm. Um, but also just like working with American Yamadori is like, that's very appealing. And I, I feel like that's a huge opportunity for the skill set that I've learned here in Japan that like, I have to kind of pick up on that when I go back to the States and I don't, feel like I've lost my like interest in tropical bonsai at all. Um, I would just say like, to me, it's like any tree I see, it's not like I'm saying like, Oh, this is a deciduous. I don't like it. Or this is tropical. I don't like it. I'm, I'm looking at the actual tree and like, Oh, do I like it or do I not like it? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I decide like if I want to work with it or not. Cause yeah, I mean, a good tree is a good tree. Like whatever species it is. Um, I guess uh, one thing I heard you, I know you just recently did another podcast and one thing I heard you talk about that 
is something that, you know, I firmly believe in. And I think that's due to both you and Juan's kind of teachings. And that has to do with uh, like Aichian's appreciation of age yeah. on trees. Um, you know, what's your take on that? Like, give us your, I know, and you don't have to like say exactly what you said on there, but um, like, I guess a lot of people are so quick to rush to the aesthetic in bonsai and like mm -hmm. just make a cool tree fast. And, you know, after really giving it a lot of thought and a lot of studying and whatnot, uh, it, it's become more apparent that really like the design, everything all like kind of fall away to age. So age is like most important and your design doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to matter if it doesn't contribute to the age of that tree. Um, I think like, of course, like design matters, like on just like for the aesthetic, right? And then like what I see here in Japan, because like there's a lot of trees that are more than a hundred years old or like 60 years old, something like that, that have been neglected and have declined a lot. So you still have like hundred years of age into this like tree that needs to be redesigned. So I feel like as long as a tree is alive, you know, you can do whatever you want with it. And then like you can apply techniques to remake it and whatever, but you can't do anything to get the age. Like you, it, age only comes with time. Right. So, so age is like, in my mind, it is one of the most valuable aspects of bonsai because it's something like, uh, there, there's no way to like make it happen faster. Right. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if that's like fully what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, you know, just wanted you to kind of dive into the, the age concept and bonsai a little bit. Yeah. I mean, here in Japan, like when you say a tree is old, it's not that it looks old. It like, it really is old. Um, I think that's something I know, like from my experience in Florida, prior to Japan, a lot of people talk about, you know, like, oh, you bring the branches down and it makes the tree look older. But like when you've been around truly old bonsai and then you see a tree that's just been like, you know, wired down, it doesn't look older at all. It just looks like the branches have been wired down. Mm -hmm. Like an old bonsai looks like an old bonsai because it's old. So that's kind of my take on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I like that because it's all that's all just design. Uh, yeah, an ascending branch can be old and covered in old, nice plated bark, or or yeah. clearly more mature bark that matches the actual tree. Yeah, just that that generic pine tree style doesn't just work. I know what you're what you're saying. Yeah, like, and that's something that we don't see a whole lot here in the states, unfortunately, right now. But uh, we're getting there. But yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, like I mean, bonsai outside of Japan is just—it's not as old as Japanese bonsai. So, as time goes on, as long as the trees continue to survive, they will get that like true age. Uh, like, like the one of the concepts is mochikomi, mm -hmm. and like mochikomi is a feeling of age. Um, that's like when you see like the twig has bark all the way up to the, t uh, the tip of it. And you know, like that, that twig is just like super old or whatever. It's like this, it's just this feeling that this tree has been bonsai for a very long time. Mm 
Um, and like, you don't like, you don't have a lot of that just because like bonsai outside of Japan is not old enough to have developed that feeling yet. That's my, it's my impression. Yeah. I've heard numerous things. One of the, the most interesting things that like a big change in how I perceived trees was when Juan came to the nursery at Weigert's and um, there was a large Brazilian rain tree there, like a really old one. Uh, all the wounds healed, everything, you know, beautiful tree. And uh, it had big reverse taper, like right above the Nabari. But it wasn't caused by like any kind of poor growing. It was just like a rain tree. And um, yeah. he he commented on it. He had, he said, you know, this is a nice tree. And I said, yeah, it's really nice, except for the reverse taper. And he just kind of like nodded his head and he was just like, nah, it doesn't bother me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel it completely the same way, right? Yeah. And so that that was a, a big eye-opening moment. So I think like if a lot of people do like this idea about rules in bonsai, and like I think a lot of people like that idea because they like to say there are no rules and like kind of fight the system, you know? Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, reverse taper can happen. So like if a tree has reverse taper, like does it make it not a good tree just because it has reverse taper? Like if it's a good tree and it has like some kind of weird feature, you know, that just makes it unique. Right. Like here, yeah, here at IGN, that's something that like my wake at the kind of looks for. Not specifically like reverse taper, but just something weird about a tree. Like if it has like a strange knob growing on it or something like that, and it's really old, like, yeah, that means it's kind of one of a kind, you know? So I, I think like when you change your mindset about like appreciating the age of a tree, despite like, you know, the quote unquote flaws of a tree, then you can really appreciate um, more bonsai. Yeah, I, I agree with that. My My observation from that, point too is that if there is a flaw like that like we were just saying earlier with the mochikome it's it that flaw took time to occur mm -hmm. in that bonsai and yeah. so you can give merit to that that flaw either it's a big awkward wound or a big bulbous branch or inverse taper or or our weird movement in a branch that just no one bothered to ever cut out of it and it just kind of went with it that yeah like you're saying in... sorry no. I was just going to say, in generally, like, those kind of flaws, like, those are not things that were forced into the tree, right? Like, that's a natural phenomena. Right. So, yeah, you just kind of change your mindset a little bit, and you can appreciate it for what it really is. And that, I, I really enjoy that. You said something, too, not too long ago. We were looking at an elm, uh, a really nice elm. And I zoomed in real close to it and I, and I'm like, whoa, but what about these like cluster of branches here, you know? Mm -hmm. And your answer was, well, what do you do about it? You know, do you cut it off? Yeah. And, and you basically that, that, that flaw should have been fixed. If you were going to fix it, it should have been fixed way long time ago. And if it wasn't, then you respect the age of the tree. Mm. Is that yeah. kind of a, yeah. I, I generally agree with that uh, to, to an extent, right? Like there's always like, special cases where like you you do want to fix something like that and of course like there's special cases where you can appreciate it for like being so old you know right so i i don't know i i, I hate giving like a black and white answer on anything so. yeah but yeah i mean you're right like if if it's really old and it's not it's like 
perceived as a flaw, but it's really old. It's like, okay, like you're going to devalue the tree and take out like the interesting aspect that it has going for it just because like you read a rule or like someone told you there's a rule about making a bonsai. And like, I think it's kind of dumb. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, hmm. lots to think about. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a thing in the mustard seed garden manual that kind of says that that's uh, it's an old quote I think in the ABS literature that basically like uh once once you master any art you know a master should be devoid of form but be with form you know one of those kind of yin and yang sayings but yeah that's deep <laughs> yeah yeah so very cool yeah so. Yeah, what do you you got something for him, Evan? Oh no, I was I was gonna uh, bring us to our sidebar conversation for a moment. If you uh, we can uh, pick up right after that, if you don't mind, Mike. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, dude, because uh, I feel like we we missed missed an opportunity to talk about it earlier in the show, but uh, sidebar uh, segment segment of the show is for just things not bonsai related or bonsai adjacent. But I think I would like to take this sidebar opportunity to congratulate Mike. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. yeah, we forgot to mention it earlier. We got ahead of ourselves talking about bonsai, but uh, so tell us about what's happening uh, with you and your wife, Lisa. Uh, so, so soon to be wife, uh, but we just announced that we are having a lovely baby girl, uh, Amelia Lane. So we're we're absolutely ecstatic about that. So she's due in February, and uh, and I'll be teaching her bonsai as soon as she's here. So, you're gonna have the, the tools and a uh and like a, a seedling with wire on it as soon as she comes out and you're like <laughs> i'm gonna have a papoose and then put a pair of scissors in her hand too and we'll just work trees together there you go just yeah. expose her as soon as as soon as possible as soon as it, yeah i mean there's gonna be a bonsai in the delivery room she's gonna be your protege i get it yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so we're we're really excited though that's uh it's the, just the coolest thing that's happened ever so yeah dude that's gonna be it's gonna be pretty cool to see like a little mic oh i've been messaging you about it recently right yeah 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 <laughs> but but nobody knows the true story so here's how this kind of happened was last oh, year oh. lisa yeah Wait a exactly no, Wait a not second. Get, no we're not gonna go into that, 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 but, um, lisa had a dream last year we weren't even we weren't gonna have kids we we were kind of had talked about it we were cool with not having kids and um last year lisa had a dream and it was like a really vivid dream she woke up and she she like it was so important to her she came and told me she's like look i had this dream that we had this baby girl named amelia and hmm. you know it was it was amazing i really think we should rethink you know our, our view on having kids and so we we thought about it and we decided yeah let's let's go ahead and try to have a kid and um, nothing happened. And so we kind of lost sight of that. And um, next thing you know, out of nowhere, we find out that she's pregnant, you know. And uh, next thing you know, we do the test and it's a girl. And mm -hmm. so we had to go with the name Amelia. So now it's all lining up. She's going to be our little dream dream girl. Yeah. There you go. So That's wild, man. Yeah. That, so. They say that uh, when you when you want a kid, it doesn't it doesn't really come to you. But uh, when when you're not expecting it, that's usually when it happens. 
Yeah, I've heard, I've heard really, a lot of people say that. So, it was just, yeah. yeah, it was just so funny. I would have never guessed. Like, I would have never guessed in a million years. So it's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, make Thank sure everybody. Guys. Thank you. Everybody in the Discord, go over there and jump in there and say congratulations to Mike. It's a big deal. <laughs> this is a life-changing moment. It is. It is. <laughs> this is but, uh, that's wild, yeah. 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 So Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, as far as, did you have a follow-up? Uh, question more stuff for uh seth no no i, I mean I, I i honestly i'll think of a million things as soon as we get off the phone uh i've like feel like i've stored up so many things to ask him once i get him like <laughs> sat down in the chair um no. but at, right now i feel like i've just i've got a lot to think about a lot to to mow oh, yeah. over a lot to process um yeah, and we yeah. and we do have opportunities for for revisits and future episodes with, uh, yeah. with our guests and stuff so. too i hope so yeah. so uh yeah, as long as you have me, I'll be here to talk whenever. Dude, yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, we'd uh, like to have you come back. As far as the uh, bonsai word of the week, we had we had uh, talked about that a little bit earlier. And I was making sure I had the um, the pronunciation close enough, uh, since uh, Seth, your your uh, Japanese should be a little bit better than mine. Uh, but <laughs> our bonsai word of the week is netsugi, and yeah. uh, that refers to our. Do you? Uh, would you have the more proper uh, pronunciation? I always go. No, with, uh, I think you're saying it about right. Um, like, yeah. I mean, we kind of chat a little bit about this. Like, ne is like the it's the word for root. So, like, uh, I don't exactly know what like sugi means, but I know like the the term for grafting is mm. sugi. So, like that root su, uh, like you have net sugi and sugi. It's the same root. So, uh, I mean, you put two and two together, like root, graft, net, sui. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess like you're right on the money with pronunciation. And usually whenever I, I approach uh, Japanese terminology and words, uh, the way that we have it here in the States is that we'll get the actual readout of, the, of what the word is. Like we'll get mm -hmm. the, the phonetics of it uh, spot on. And, I, and the, one of the biggest things, if uh, listeners are trying to learn these bonsai words of the week, which I challenge our listeners to use them in a sentence amongst their bonsai friends and outside of a bonsai group and confuse people, um, <laughs> is to uh, is to know that in Western culture, we have a rhythm to the way we speak. There's pauses and dips and and uh, and inflection in, in the way that we speak within Japanese culture and, and their language. There's there's usually no pause or or uh or stops in a word so if you say netsugi that's that's the western way to say it but for them it would be netsugi just quicker and just more precise on the on the nose kind of sounding uh so just just a little bit of a thing that i mean everybody's got rosetta stone too so that's like one, <laughs> japanese 101 yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah but yeah, Natsugi is the um is is a grafted root. I wanted to bring up grafted roots because I think that's something uh as far as grafting goes, you know, not we had talked talked about this earlier in the episode. There's you talked about the guy grafting the Japanese maples. That's just something that I feel like a lot more bonsai enthusiasts should get on board with here with grafting yes. and grafting roots. I have a friend that I work with um and she grafts all of her trees. She put she root grafts every single tree that has any flaw in the roots and it's it's awesome. She always turns out really, really great bonsai every time. Uh, not every single time, but great roots. 
great root systems. Uh, I mean, and you also you get a really nice even flare. You get you get nabari all the way around. You can actually bring the root root ball up closer to the trunk instead of having stringy right. aqua roots on one side. So, um, what do you what do you think, Seth? As far as your experiences with root grafts and that type of thing? Uh, I mean, in my opinion, root grafts are actually one of the easiest grafts to do successfully um, because it's just a so it's an approach graft where you are you're basically making an incision into the tree and then you're placing a seedling uh, in where like this is what an approach graft is like you're you're making an incision you're placing like a seedling or a branch and then at that like cut point is where it will fuse so when you're doing a root graft you're just grafting you're doing an approach graft very low on the nibari or around the base of the tree, wherever, wherever you need a root, basically. And instead of like, you're, you're not grafting with the intention to grow a branch, right? Your, your intention is grow roots. So you're going to be using the seedling stock very close to like the base of that tap root on the seedling, because you're trying to only grow like one root from that seedling to fuse onto the tree. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, a lot of trees need root grafting. Uh, just like trees don't grow perfectly. And if you want that perfect nabari, like more than likely, you're going to have to do a couple root grafts here and there. It's uh, just like part of the game. And I do agree, like more people should take up grafting and like get proficient at it because like high level bonsai, like it needs grafting from time to time. Um, like you can make trees without ever grafting them. It's possible, but whenever you have a problem area, like in mm. maybe you want a branch in a spot and you just can't get a bud there. Like, yeah, you just graft it in or you have a root that won't, or you need a root and like, you don't have it. So you just graft it in this kind of things. And I mean, I'll say in my opinion, grafting is pretty easy to learn how to do, but to make a clean union, it's pretty difficult. Like it takes good skill and um, practice. Only that though. And so uh, can you root graft any tree? Uh, as far as I know, like I've seen Shimpaku here in this nursery, uh, I've been root grafted and separated. Mm -hmm. And um, I've seen red pine that has been root grafted. I've seen black pine that's been root grafted. Very I nice. haven't seen white pine they root grafted but i have a feeling it'd probably be just fine because i've like, seen them air layered what about like deciduous trees elms things like that to people root yeah I, as, as far as i know pretty much every deciduous can be root grafted i think because it's an approach graft i think like the key is that approach grafts work best with species that heal over well right so for example example like eliagnus hmm I don't really think Eliagnus is a good healer. I mean, they can heal um, in some cases, but I don't know how easy they are to graft. I've never, like, I've never tried, and I've never seen it done. So I have this feeling that because it's kind of, uh, like, difficult to heal, it's difficult to get a graft to be accepted. Because it's like right. it doesn't build that callus tissue so quickly to accept the graft. And that's what I've noticed. I've noticed uh, on a lot of species, it seems like sea hibiscus is one. Mm -hmm. It almost seems to heal 
and it, it doesn't seem readily it doesn't fuse easily and it doesn't seem to like take approach graphs easily it seems to like push out mm -hmm. faster than it will fuse into itself so yeah I, I think the quicker a tree is to form callus tissue and begin that healing the more viable uh approach graphing is so that's crate either approach graphing roots or yeah like crepe myrtle trident maple japanese maple uh i mean shimpaku juniper is like uh approach grafted all the time yeah uh needle juniper tosha is grafted root grafted all the time uh sorry i'm getting mixed up saying root grafted meant approach grafted mm. but yeah I've also noticed you really got to sink the, at least like with ficus and stuff like that. I've had a hard time sinking them both deep enough so that, and, and finding something that will hold them tight enough so they don't push out. Yeah. I've used pins, I've used staples and they just push right out of that. Um, I do think you have to go a little bit more than flush. Like if you have a, I'm just gonna use easy numbers. If you have a um, a, like a scion for your approach graph that's like an inch thick, you're probably gonna want the incision to be like an inch and a half deep, right? So that so that the callus tissue can grow over the the scion and like swallow it, you know, so yeah. that it's like forced to fuse. And then as far as getting something to hold it in place. I mean, it all depends on like the tree and like the particular scenario, right? Because like sometimes just the positioning of where the graph is can make it kind of difficult to secure something. But I mean, generally, like maybe you put like a piece of rubber to like protect the bark and then maybe put like a chopstick and then just crank it down with a wire That's so that it's yeah. tight. Or like some cases, yeah, you can put a piece of rubber and staple it. And like the little, the little incision points from the staple, like they'll disappear with time. So it's yeah. no worry. What about like a, like a, which I'm gonna call it like a picture nail or like a trimming trim mm -hmm. nail or something like I've that. I've seen people use those. Yeah. Because I'm, I've yeah. used the little pins, you know, and the, those are don't. Yeah. To be honest, I don't, I don't particularly like those like grafting pins with like no, that small terrible. green rubber and it's a very thin nail. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't. Yeah, anything. Uh, I would, I would rather use like a push pin than one of those. Like, yeah. I, I just like, I don't know. I feel like it holds more secure. I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, on big approach grass, like, you can use a staple gun or like a, hmm. you know, those like thick fencing staples that are yeah. kind of like a, uh, maybe they're just called a fencing staple. But like, yeah, I mean, a thick staple or two on a big tree is like perfectly yeah. fine. It's just, you, you got to get creative how to secure it, I think. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's the issues I've run into is those just really strong, really strong growth just pushing out of there. But yeah. Yeah. And like, say, for example, Kaede, Trident Maple, uh, it is kind of prone to like pushing out because it's a strong growing species. Mm -hmm. So like knowing that is kind of where you have to think like, okay, I know this tree is going to grow very strong and I know there's a good chance that it's going to push out. So like, I'm going to make my cut deep and I'm going to do my best to like secure this, uh, really tight. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's basically the best you can do. Right. Right.
Mm-hmm. And just keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. And just to throw it out there for um, for some of our listeners that might want an idea of how to get good cutting like root, uh, I mean, uh, root graft stock is that one of the things that I've heard and one of the techniques that I've used as well is um, when you take your cuttings, put your cuttings, if they're going to be root graft stock, particularly um, off the same tree helps, but within the same species as well, because you're cutting the foliage off of it. Yeah. Uh, but also stick your cuttings down the side of the container that you're that you're trying to achieve roots on so that the roots are literally forced to push one direction out so that when you take that cutting out then you then you're going to put it onto the tree that you're trying to graft it onto your roots will be very directional off of that right tree. yeah um, i think that's a pretty good idea like uh yeah, it's a nice hurt. like little extra little extra stuff that you can take that will make the process a lot easier yeah, mm-hmm. especially if you let that that uh that cutting grow a little bit of a stronger root, and then that root will be mm-hmm. thicker. But I think also it might be counter like counterintuitives in some cases if like your cutting it's a little too like it's a little away from you on it, and if it starts to thicken before you have the chance to implant it, yeah, then that might be counterintuitive. But eh, it's just a thought. That's something I've heard and have used myself, and it seems to work pretty fine. Personally, I think like the best result for a root graft is going to be on a smaller size, uh, like piece of, I'm just going to call it a scion, like whatever scion stock you're using. If it's on a smaller size, it's going to be like just easier to do with a root graft. Um, and I think like the thickening of the root will appear more natural and then the mm-hmm. cut when you actually remove the stock from the mother plant, like you, you won't have like such a visible scar in the future. Mm. And, um, I, I think that's a little bit true with any type of graph though. Like, uh, your, your stock in scion should always be kind of like appropriately matched by size. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I've noticed, um, with some of the graphs that, uh, especially scion grafting, you know, that it seems like the smaller the graft, I used to try to like, you know, put the biggest size in there. And yeah. that would always, especially for cleft grafts, would always create a reverse taper area. So I've found, right. you know, you got to really do a small branch and not bow that that section out at all. Um, so uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, on your approach grafts, do you ever scrape the underside? I usually leave them intact and I haven't noticed any... Yeah, I, I don't think you have to. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Like, I think, like, you could maybe potentially get a quicker connection because you're exposing cambium on the scion, and then, like, it could connect to the cambium on the, like, whatever tree you are grafting. But I don't think it's necessary. I think, like, depending on, like, the, uh, the tree, um, you could even be, like, damaging the scion and weakening it right. rather than like doing something that's beneficial that's what i've had happen you know where i like cut yeah too deep into it and it just didn't work out. yeah so, so I, I, I don't think it's necessary yeah cool very cool yep nice, so man. uh yeah that kind of brings us towards the end of our show here uh before we we uh wrap it up um in case y'all didn't catch that, that bonsai word of the week was uh, netsugi. I know we went really long, but we got a lot of great information on that. I feel like that's a really important technique. But uh, 
But yeah, we're going to go to our shout outs really quick. Uh, just so y'all know, um, y'all can go over to Little Things for Bonsai People and find us on Instagram. There's a uh, very inactive Facebook page there, but give us some time. Uh, we're all bonsai people here. We have a lot of things going on. Um, it's growing season. It, it is. It's blazing hot where I'm at. And I know Mike's even hotter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can go over to underhillbonesai.com. Go check out uh, stuff that I got going on. Bon- underhillbonesaistore.com to go see what uh, stock I have as far as pre-bonesai, wire, tools, soil we make our own soil in a house here for the southeast uh we just got a whole bunch of willow pottery from uh south africa uh, a lot of good pottery there nice high quality stuff mid to high quality um and then for mike you can go check out kitsunebonsai.com are you offering any online classes coming up soon uh no online we do have a bunch of local classes um at the alliance for the arts here but we also have laurent dariu coming in uh next month he's starting his u.s tour uh here in florida and uh mm-hmm. and so that's going to be pretty sweet so most of most of our attention's kind of just gearing up towards that yep. and uh and so yeah that and the the classes we're offering with the alliance and um and private sessions so Yep. No, no and, online classes. Unfortunately, the online thing, you know, when we were attempting to do it, we didn't have a huge, uh, wasn't a lot of people signing up for it. So we mm-hmm. sh- we're shelving it until maybe like winter time again, and we'll revisit that. Until the next pandemic. Yeah, the next yeah. pandemic. That's what we need. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there, there also might be an opportunity for our patrons, uh, as far as online classes go. We've been teasing that for a little while here, but uh, online classes will will be in the pipeline eventually when it pretends to uh, little things for bonsai people. So we'll get back to that later, but also you'd mentioned earlier for Laurent, he'll be with you and he'll be over here with me in mm-hmm. uh, in Southeast Louisiana as well. That's going to be in October. Uh, we currently have a, I mean, for the people who are local enough, I know this is a international show. Everybody's from all over the world's listening to this, but, uh, but anyone that's close enough to me, you can go over to Underhill Bonsai Store and you can go to workshops and sign up for the workshops that we have with Laurent. It's going to be the 5th and 6th of October. Um, and then as far as other topics we need to hit with that. Oh, Seth, you, you got to hit on Seth and his. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I was going to say uh, yeah, for, dude, for Seth, where they can check out your work. Uh, so like on Instagram, it's seth.nelson.bonsai. Um and on Facebook, it's Seth Nelson Bonsai, uh, without the dots. Uh, it's the same content on both pages. And uh, I've just been kind of you know sharing my experience as an apprentice on those pages. I had an Instagram that had like eight years of content, and then I lost it. So the Seth.Nelson.Bonsai Instagram page doesn't have all of my uh, posts all my content from the years that I've been here, but the Facebook page does, mm-hmm. if that is something you're interested in. Yeah. But otherwise it's just, yeah, it's updated pretty regularly. Yeah. It's, so, a, yeah. it's a great resource um, for the beginners out there and the intermediate um, people out there. There was a lot of things I picked up on, you know, over the years, just reading his Facebook. And um, so definitely check it out. Yeah, you guys go over there and check out his Instagram and his Facebook under the Seth Nelson, uh, seth.nelson.bonsai on Instagram for sure. Uh, This is the future of bonsai. Uh, These are people that are learning in Japan now. uh, So you need to keep an eye on them. They're going to have some really good stuff coming in the future. Um, And does your 
Oyakata have any information online about his bonsai nursery? Uh, that's, that's not just Japanese exclusive. Yeah, there's a Aichiren bonsai website. Um, there is, it's in English. He doesn't really use social media. He has an account, but like I don't think he's ever posted on it. Hmm. So, yeah, he's he's more private in that sense. Um, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't really share so much. But oh, yeah. the iChan website is available in English. Uh, can you spell iChan out for the people who want to go look it's, at it? Yeah, it's A I C H I E N. Okay. Awesome. And that's dot com or is that uh have Yeah, that's dot com. Okay. No, it's dot com. All right. Yeah, y'all go check out iChin. That sounds like a little cool thing to see there. I mean, I don't really see a lot of bonsai nurseries in Japan have websites or any information. It's usually pretty kept to themselves. Yeah. Um so but yeah, just wanted to say one more time, uh thanks to the patrons. Uh if you're interested in becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people and uh support the episode get a shout out at the beginning of each episode and uh the list keeps getting longer and longer you're gonna make me stumble over more and more names uh but uh we're all here for it <laughs> it's kind yeah. of a staple of the the show right now but anyway uh but yeah you guys thanks for uh, hanging out thanks seth for telling us about bonsai apprenticeship apprenticeship and yeah, your experience thank you both for uh sorry thank you thank you both for you know inviting me to do the podcast and oh. actually getting time to do it with me we're yep. gonna have you. We're gonna have you again if you're down for it. That was uh, yeah. Cool. I'm down. Yep. Awesome. I'm down. Awesome. All, All right. right. Well, uh, go get some sleep, man. And uh, or is that sleep for the week? Yeah. Yeah. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a. It's eleven fifteen now. But like, uh, I don't know. I'll probably be up for like another two hours because that's just how I am. Yeah. Not me. Well, I can't say <laughs> that. Sometimes I am, but I'm. I'm up I'm at four every sleep. day. So. Yeah. No, I can't do that. Yeah. I'm crazy like that. So Yeah, that's weird, dude. All right, guys. Well, I'm gonna go uh work in the garden and catch up some trees. Yeah, yeah. Until next time. All right, guys. All right. Y'all stay groovy. All right. <laughs>